Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fourth episode of the 52-Bit Podcast. My name is Nita. This is basically a bit where for 52 weeks, I will be talking about something that either you or I or both of us want to talk about. So be sure to send in your topic suggestions to either Twitter at 52 underscore bit podcast or Gmail, 52bitpodcast at gmail.com. The 52 in both of those is numeric. This week, we'll be talking about the question, what is a gamer? This is a question that comes up pretty often in my friend group because I tend to ask the same questions over and over again, and I've never gotten an answer. A lot of us play games. I'm always curious to hear what people's thoughts are on what a gamer is. So let's get to it. Today, I want to talk about what is a gamer, the definition, what types of games are considered gamer games, and then kind of my perception of gamers. One of the main things I want to talk about is who tends to consider themselves a gamer. One of the things I noticed when I was going around asking my friends, like, hey, do you consider yourself a gamer? We all play games. All of my friends play a variety of games, but only about 50% of them would consider themselves gamers. And that confounds me. I know I don't consider myself a gamer, and a lot of that is because I play games, but I do not consistently play games, and I don't associate with other people who play games except for my friends, and I tend to do it on my own. But I should be considered a gamer, as should most of the people I know. It's kind of crazy. Everyone has their own definition of what a gamer is. Obviously, there's the definition, the textbook definition, that's like a person who games in popular media that it's like people who play video games all the time or like in the video game scene and I got a variety of answers from people some people consider specific games to be the reason you're either a gamer or not a gamer one of the things I've been trying to unlearn is this idea that gamers play first person games not first person shooters just like first person games right because that makes me not a gamer I don't play first person games it gives me a headache my astigmatism acts up and I start going cross-eyed so I've always been curious about what makes somebody choose what type of games are gamer games. I consider all games gamer games. I feel like part of it has to do with the media perception of what a gamer is and part of it is your unconscious biases that may or may not have been shaped by what you know. So for example, my mom is a gamer. She doesn't believe me, but she's a gamer. My mom plays more phone games every day than I probably play games in a week. She loves these word puzzle games on her phone. She plays them all the time. I somehow have never seen the game, but she's explained every single rule to me and the tourney system and like everything around it and she's so excited about it all the time and I once called her a gamer and she was like I don't I'm not a gamer I just occasionally play a game and she was like and those aren't like gamer games it's just a game I play and I think part of that is that when my mom was growing up obviously we didn't have mobile games or video games she mainly had like board games and like going outside and playing games the games that exist now she can't conceptualize making her a gamer I think she also thinks that gamers are young kids. A lot of times games get associated with people who are younger than the age of 21. I know when I graduated college, my parents were like, now you need to stop playing those games. Stop messing around. And I was like, so what do I do for fun if I don't play games? This is a thing I started doing as a kid because I enjoy doing it. Why do I have to stop doing it when I'm an adult? I think there's very much perception that games are for kids. And I think that's a little silly, especially like looking at the game market, which is expanded for you when you look at things like Steam or like the Google Play Store or the Apple 
iPhone store. I don't know what that's called. I have an Android product very clearly because I don't even know what the Apple iPod, Apple store, Apple store, we'll call it the Apple store. It's probably the Apple store. But when you look at the games that are in them, they're so varied and, and different that like clearly children can't be playing all of them. A child probably isn't playing a like deep, dark game about depression. It's probably an adult who's playing that game. Somebody who's a little older. I think it's very hard to remove our unconscious bias from these things because I think people tend to associate games with childhood and like having time to play and then they think when you grow up you just don't have time you need to be doing other things but if you don't have a way to relax and games used to be your relaxing activity like what becomes your relaxing activity now I just want us to remove the stigma and the idea that only a certain group of people play games because I think games are a universal concept that we should all keep doing no matter what method you use to play games board games card games video games console games phone games. Heck, I'll even include sports games. I don't know if LARP is included, but LARPing. Whatever makes you happy, keep doing it. I think games bring a lot of enjoyment into people's lives. I think there is a barrier to entry depending on the amount of money you have. I think games can be kind of expensive to get into, but I think if you have the ability to get into a game, definitely do it. And if you have something that can make it easier to get into, a thing where you guys share the money, like between you and three friends, that's awesome. I do think one of the big barriers to entry is money. I also think it's a little when you're able to get started in games. I know growing up, I played a lot of games. I didn't think I played a lot of games, but I did play a lot of games growing up. I was definitely into board games. We had Monopoly at home. We always played Uno. There's always a handful of Uno cards at home. And then we got in computer games, obviously Flash games. So like if anyone remembers that Kellogg's website, that was so fun. The codenames Kid Next Door game. And then obviously to a point, it went to like RuneScape and stuff. And I was just always playing games. I got a Nintendo Game Boy Advanced. Brother had a Game Boy Color before me. We were always on the Nintendo line of games. At some point I played the Yu-Gi-Oh card game, Pokemon card game. So we were always a family that gamed. As I grew older, I learned about, about different board games and card games. I remember two of my first card games I was introduced to that I still love to this day are like Flux and Munchkin. I keep those both in my card collection. And then I was introduced to a vast array of card games. Friends got me into Super Smash Bros. Just a plethora of games that I still play to this day on the Nintendo Switch and on my PC console. I think that I'm not the best at like action games. I didn't grow up playing them, but I have been playing games since I was a kid. So the barrier to entry for me to be excited about games and play games and try new games, I think is much lower than somebody who would be trying to learn one right now. And if you're scared to learn a game, let me know. I am here to play along with you. One of the things I know is hard to get into is something that like takes multiple people. So like tabletop role-playing games, board games that require at least two people, you know, like you can't play alone in those instances. You have to have somebody with you. So if anyone needs somebody, please message me. I am always here for you. I guess I'm also intrigued to hear people's thoughts. One of the things that I think I forget constantly is arcade games. So arcade games tend to be, I feel like a genre of their own. They're obviously games you could find a way to play at home. They're all video games of some sort, but I feel like arcade games themselves, well, not all of them are video games. Some of them are like skee-ball and like that basketball hoop shooty thing. But I think I would consider them also a form of gaming. And I just didn't even think of them until now. But when I was a kid, we used to go to this place called Aladdin's Castle. 
It was right across from the Sears at our old mall in an old town I used to live in. I remember that's the only time we would play these types of games. Like those types of games didn't exist on the internet, so we weren't playing them there. We were coming to this place, spending a couple bucks to play these specific games. The like the motorcycle race, the DDR pad, like all of these were just arcade games that we came to play. And I always hoped we'd win an arcade prize and we, we never did. We couldn't do that. But Neil just had some fun playing some arcade games, and that was something that was really important. There's also many things outside of games that you can buy that are a part of being a gamer almost. So I'm not talking like you own a console and you have to buy like three different controllers for it. There are like figurines of the individual characters in the game and like posters and like all of this like fan stuff, like pillows and stuff. You could get literally, if you loved Mario, for example, you could honestly decorate a whole room in dedication towards Mario. And that would be spending a lot of your money, but that would also be towards your game interests, which is just fascinating. I think when you join a gamer scene, you almost become a performer. This is something that's going to be maybe controversial, but I think once you put yourself in front of an audience, whether it's for streaming or like competitions, you have another element that's added. It's kind of like when we think people who play a sport, I, I would consider them like athletes or gamers, but then when you do it for money and you like do it in front of like a crowd, mainly big national tournaments or like the Olympics or something. I think at that point, you're a performer on top of being an athlete or gamer. It doesn't like remove the fact that you're also that, but like in my head, you're first a performer. No matter if you consider yourself a gamer or not, or like who you consider a gamer, I think games are a good way to bring people together to have fun. There are some games you can play on your own, but I think most games, you know, require at least two people. So it's usually a good way to bond. People tend to have like board game nights or like video game nights. It's definitely like a thing you can do in solitude if you'd like, but I think games are a good way to bring people together to have some fun. So I would always highly suggest playing a couple games with your friends. If you are interested in games, you should do it. And we should consider all games to be valuable and interesting. They're all being made for a reason. So just something to keep in mind. Even if you don't like a game, somebody else might like that game. And as long as it's not out in the world harming someone, I think it's useful, right? We should also still be conscious of the art we're taking in. So the art you have might have flaws. And you should always be working to make the world a more inclusive and kind space for everybody. If you play games, you're a gamer and everybody in my head is a gamer because we all like to have fun. No, that didn't make sense. But yes, you're going to hear it from me. Definitely let me know what you think is a gamer. What, what comes to your head when you you think a gamer? What games do you think are in the idea of what gamers play? Like, do you include people who play sports? Do you think that phone games are in there? Tabletop role-playing games, PC games, console games, LARPing, board games, card games. Let me know if you think there are any categories that I missed and we'll definitely talk about it. Awesome. On to the sidebar, we have questions from unsurprisingly Greenwell and Christina. Thank you guys for sending in so many questions. From Greenwell this week, it is, who is your partner Pokemon? Pokemon. So just for people who've never played Pokemon before, there are a lot of Pokemon now. I know you're probably just thinking that it's like Pikachu and that's it. Over the past like 20 plus years, they've got like 900 Pokemon. So honestly, I panicked a little when I saw this question because my favorite Pokemon is Santru. It always has been. Do I think Santru would be my partner Pokemon though? Absolutely not. We would both fail miserably. I think my partner Pokemon would probably be a rock type. If I were to have a partner Pokemon, here's how it would go. I would put Aaron. 
Erin's uh, number 304. It is a steel rock. It's like the really cute tiny one that um, Steven has in Pokemon Sapphire, Ruby, Emerald. And I would probably pick it and be like, you're cute. We're going to hang out. We're going to be cool together. You are small. I am small. Awesome. And then slowly it would evolve and end up being Agron and be huge. And I would be like, I did not plan this far ahead. You are now bigger than me. Well, I guess we're doing this. I guess this is what we're doing. Let's rock this. Pun intended, apparently. I used to really like fire types and I still really do, but I think rock types kind of embody my personality. I'm very, I'm very stubborn, honestly. I'm very stubborn and very hard-headed. I'm set in my ways a lot of times, but I, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to stick to it. I also really don't like bug Pokemon. Grass Pokemon are okay. Ground Pokemon scare me, but again, Sandshrew. So yeah, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it would be Aaron. By that, I mean it's a gut instinct. So there you go, Greenwell. Thank you for the question again. This week from Christina, we have what's your favorite comfort food? It depends if I'm making it versus if my dad is making it or like my mom, not my brother. My brother never cooks for me. I'm not salty, I promise. I'm definitely salty. I wish he would cook for me. I wish other people would cook for me more often. So if my dad is making it, actually it's these veggie sandwiches and I don't know how to explain it to you except saying that my dad takes like two slices of 12 grain bread, puts some chipotle mayo on one side, some sliced cheese, and then just cuts up a bunch of veggies, like just anything that's in the fridge, layers it on there. It's like the size of a, like a, like a full burger. Like imagine like a quarter pound burger, but like the equivalent of veggies on a sandwich. And then he cuts it in triangles and I eat it. And it's like the best sandwich. It's really refreshing and nice. And it's really, really like it just gives me a good pick me up. If I'm making it, then my favorite comfort food is a warm pasta, like a, a red sauce warm pasta with mushrooms in it. I really like pasta. It's really warm and comforting. Also, just in any culture, the porridge that is in any culture is a really good comfort food. I can't make porridge in any culture in in there's like kitchity, can't make it, don't know how, very bad at it, but any any sort of porridge is delicious. I don't know if that helped at all. Now I want porridge, honestly, and I don't know how to make it, so that's great. I guess I should learn to make that right now. But yeah, thank you, Christina. That's the answer. Three different things, as usual, never a straight answer. I guess this is also the part of the podcast where I tell you all, I actually had a lot of cool articles I was going to talk about, and then I just... I did not. Instead, I just rambled through this whole episode. So I will post those articles in the description below or to the side or wherever it is on whatever app you're listening to. Be sure to check them out. They're really cool articles. So feel free to message me if you want to talk about them. If you do send me something that you want to talk about, I will be sure to talk about it in the next episode. So... I would like to highly encourage all of you to do that. Also, I just really like talking to you guys, so just message me. Or don't. It's your choice. No pressure. Seriously. Thank you all so much for listening to the fourth episode of the 52-Bit Podcast. My name is Nita. Next week, we'll be talking about the history of pants. And let me just clarify, we're not talking about like the whole history of pants, but just a couple questions that people have about pants in America, differences in pants, where they came about, all that jazz. We'll figure some things out. It'll be kind of fun. Are you going to learn much? Maybe. Will you learn everything? Absolutely not, because I am not a textile major, nor am I a history major. So talk to you all later.